0: Good morning, church. This morning, we are going to be taking a look at the next chapter in our series that we've called DIY Yahweh. Uh, DIY is do it yourself, and if you're God and your name is Yahweh, then how does God get stuff done in the world? DIY Yahweh. What does he choose to do? And, and hopefully, by the end of this, you will, you will question what it is that we have done over the last four or five weeks. You'll say, well, we've been talking and we've been building upon this and it's been going and going and going and now you're saying the exact opposite of everything you've said for four weeks. So if you've been following with us for the last four weeks, you're probably going to be confused and that's by design. We're not finished yet. If this is your first time experiencing this with us, um, then you'll be like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's what the Bible says. So we're going to be good, all right? Either way, we're going to be good whether you're a guest this morning or whether you've been following with us, tracking along. Um, we're going to be very, very good. Um, we've been talking about how it was that God got a couple of things accomplished in the world. Do we remember what it was that was God's projects? For those of you guys who've been here, if you, if you are guests this morning, you don't have to answer. But what were the things that we talked about that were God's projects? Build the temple, all right, we started with the altar, we got the temple a couple years later, it all got finished up, then what did we, what did we build last week? Build, build the walls. I'll say that quietly and we'll move on. Um, so we, uh, so we built a temple and then we built walls to protect the city around it. And, uh, and we talked about, remember, that God's projects, the things that God does in the world, these building projects, God's projects are designed to renovate God's people. It wasn't necessarily about the building, and it wasn't necessarily about the wall. It was about what did God need to renovate in God's people. And that in the course of those projects, people got serious about what was going on between them and God, and they and they took action steps to correct the sin in their lives. So God's projects are designed to renovate God's people. And if you're an astute thinker, which I know you are, you say, well, wait a second. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus come to renovate God's people? Didn't he come in and take care of all of the nonsense that separated us from God? Like, aren't we in a completely different place? Like, how is it, like, why are you even talking about all that Old Testament stuff? That doesn't, that, like, we're not building the temple here. Like, that's in Jerusalem. If you want to, I don't even want to get in the building permits for that city, but uh, it's not, it seems like it's so distant from what we're doing. And it seems like Jesus has already rectified the issue that the projects were designed to do. So why have we spent four weeks talking about this? It's a good question. What I'd like to do this morning is take a look at what Jesus did after he started his ministry. What were some of his first steps? And what does that mean for how we follow him um, in our walk? All right? So we're going to do that by looking at Luke chapters 5 and 6. If you'd like to open your Bibles, if you, uh, if you pull out a uh, blue Bible, those are really, really easy to read. It's going to be on page 1074. If you're younger and you like to read really small print, the story Bibles are in there too. And that's on page 713 on those Bibles. But we're going to be in Luke chapters 5 and 6. And as I see that we're getting there, I'll pause and we'll pray. Jesus, there there is no one like you. We could search all of the history books and, and written or unwritten, there's been nobody like you since the beginning. And there will be nobody like you to the end of all things. And God, it's our privilege to know you. We thank you that you have left the record for us of what you did while you were here. And Lord, we pray that as we look to your word that you would speak clearly to us. I pray that anything that I would say that's my own opinion, that those things would be forgotten quickly, but that your word would, would be emblazoned in our hearts, that we would carry it with us into the rest of this week and then the rest of our days. God, we thank you that you're here among us. So we ask that you would give us ears to hear And hearts to grow. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's read in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that it began to sink, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to him, said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I really love this interaction. Um, Behind the scenes, Jesus has been out in the the wilderness. He's been tempted for 40 days. He's come back to his hometown and said, hey, like, I'm the Messiah. And they tried to kill him. And he just kind of walked out because that's what Jesus does. And so now he's going along and he's teaching, and as he's teaching, he's backed up against the lake, and these people won't give him room to breathe, and he looks over, and there's this group of blue-collar workers who've been working the third shift, and they're trying to wrap up so they can go home and get a nap. And so he walks over to their boat and climbs in and says, hey, take me out a little bit. And that had to be the Spirit of God moving. And Simon said, all right, fine. (laughs) Like, Simon must have been a nice guy. He gets a bad rap later on. His We know him more as Peter. But he must have been a nice enough guy. Or he was captivated at what Jesus was saying. He's, you know, cleaning his nets and listening out of the other ear. So I'm not sure exactly what the situation was, but he does it. And so Jesus gets like a platform, kind of separated from the people. They're not pushing in on him. He can project out and people can hear well. And so he teaches and teaches and gives a sermon. And Peter's just sitting in the boat like... Keeping it... Hold down. And I guess he listened. And he's trying to figure out, you know, what is this guy? So he gets down with this sermon, and I don't know how long it went, but it went long enough. And he says, hey, Simon, let's go out into the deep and throw your nets out, and we'll catch some fish. Simon and company are professionals. This is what their fathers did. This is what they've done since the time that they were able to get their leg up over the boat... Like, they've done this every day of their lives for as long as they can remember. Their father's done it every day of his life and their grandfather, and all the way back, they are professionals. They know fishing. And this rabbi, who might know some things about spiritual stuff, is like, hey, we're going to go catch something. And he's like, I'm not a charter. Like, I was, just, I was doing you a favor, man. Fine. So he goes and goes out and throws the nets in. He says, we, we worked all night. We didn't catch anything. Fishing's terrible today. But I'm just going to chuck it in there. We'll see what happens cuz you said so. At your word. I love that. At your word I'll listen. And it catches fish. Like not a couple fish, not enough fish for the night, not enough to, you know, make payday, but all of the fish. And he's like, "Hey, hey, hey, hey company, like you guys get the other boat out here. We're not going to be able to get all these in." And so they pull up these nets and they're pulling it up and it's sinking two boats. And Simon turns to Jesus, he says, you, I'm a sinful man, like I, I curse like a sailor. I, like this is, I you should not be in my boat. Like whatever you are, like I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Yeah, but I've got something bigger for you. You're a professional fisherman. You know what this is. You've done it day and night, and you've caught fish." And you know that if I put you out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the day, that you're not going to catch anything. But hey, I'm not who you think I am. And what's in store for you is not what you've imagined could be. And so trust me, and I will make you catch men. And here's where, if you've been following with us for the last couple of weeks, you go, oh, wait a second, this is this is where it switched, right? This is where we go from making like projects and things to now we're talking about spiritual things. Jesus came and he like didn't like the temple and he preached at the Pharisees and he didn't like those guys very much and he was like, look, I'm going to tear this temple down. You guys spent a lot of money to build it, but it ain't going to stand. And three days later, it's going to... So like he had a lot of things to say and there's a lot of background that I'm not going to get into that. But, he's, but here's the switch, right? He's calling his disciples out and he's saying, you're not going to be working with fish, you're not going to be worried about your your provision for every day. Like you're going to be catching men. The focus of what I'm trying to do is going to be other people now. And I think that that's kind of kind of where we want to go. Naturally, like that's we're like oh, okay, well we'll stop doing the religious thing. It's it's about a relationship. It's not about religion. And so those religious, I don't have to go to church to like love Jesus. Like that's not doesn't have to be like that. And like I get. Some of the arguments that that how that gets in your head, but there's something else that's happening here that we're gonna see. So before I undermine everything that we've talked about for the last four weeks, let me ask you an application question real quick. Look at look at the end of that verse there in 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 Luke chapter five, verse eleven. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him they, this was an average day at work and they were out cleaning their nets because nets are expensive, but that's how you make money. Yes, I'm a mechanic and I got to buy all my own tools. And when Jesus shows up, he says, you're going to go with me. You're going to catch men. They leave their toolbox behind. They leave their boats. They leave their business. They leave their stability and they go and follow him what do we hold on to that keeps us from following jesus because the invitation comes to us and we say yeah but i've got this other thing i need to i need to sort this out first like i'm not I, like jesus i like what you're saying and you 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 clearly are like powerful you're not like us but like i've got this other thing i need to sort out you know, my, my retirement never really recovered from the, from the thing, from the depression or recession. Like, I, I, gotta, I got some things I need to work on. What are the things that we hold on to that keep us from following Jesus? Because God's renovated people love their neighbors. He, he's saying, look, you guys are, are doing your own thing. You're making, making bank, like you're gonna have a great haul tonight, <laughs> but I'm gonna teach you how to catch men. God's renovated people love their neighbors. And I think that leads us to ask, what is love? Like we hear that word a lot. It happens all the time. I love tacos. I love you. I love, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, like, we can't mean the same thing by that, right? I don't, what is love? And our, our society, our culture will tell us. And the thing that's interesting is like, you can know what a word means and not know how to define it. I see this with my kids where I can tell them a sentence and they can do what I told them to do, but I can go back and ask them a question about a word that I used in my instructions and say, what does that word mean? And they oh, I don't know, but I knew you wanted me to do this. So love is kind of like that. If you were to ask your neighbor what is love, they would like, I don't know. It's, you know what, it's, it's what it is. It's like how you, there's feelings and stuff and, and it's emotions and Valentine's Day. And that's, that's not the Bible's picture of what love is. Love is actually a commitment, regardless of your feelings. Love is choosing to see and meet a need for the other person's best interest. And there's an excellent example of that in Luke chapter 5. If you look with me at verse 17... and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So Jesus is on the preaching circuit. He's, he's popular and people, the, the teachers are coming from all around like he's the new kid on the block like why is he drawing so many crowns why do people? they're coming from Jerusalem like this, they're traveling and so he's speaking in the house and it's packed like no, no pews, no cushions, no AC like people are just jammed in there shoulder to shoulder sitting on the floor whatever it is and so these people come and they want Jesus to heal their friend they're carrying him on a stretcher and they can't get in so they're like oh right, no we'll just climb up on the roof and like pop that roof off and we'll just let him down in there which is crazy and it, they do it. They rip off this guy's roof and they let him down in. And Jesus is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. See, I wrestle with stuff like this. Jesus, it's, it's clear to me he wants you to heal him. <laughs> it's, it's clear to me like he wants to walk home today. And, and you, you see this And you say, your sins are forgiven. Like, I don't know, that's what he came for. But Jesus sees his need. There's times where we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I just need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And we say, but Jesus, I need these other five things. And he's saying, I've forgiven your sins. And he's like, you're like, Jesus, why aren't you meeting my needs? He's saying, your sins are forgiven. I've met them all. Like, don't you understand that the, the, the spiritual root of, of separation from God is paid for? Like, I have the authority to do this. And the things that you think you need, you don't need. And so he turns to the teachers and says, because they're upset. And they're just kind of muttering to themselves. They're not listening to, to what, you know, or they're not thinking about what's going on. They're like, man, this guy thinks he's God. He's forgiven sins. And only God can do that. This is blasphemy. And he's like, hey, yeah, by the way, I am like and just to show you that I can like which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven like if I say to you your sins are forgiven you're like well maybe she feels better but like how do I know that anything actually happened he's like hey in order to prove that what I said was actually true like get up and walk home and he does And so here is where I feel this tension as we've been going through this series of D.I. Yahweh. How does God build stuff in the world? Isn't God only concerned about people? Isn't he only concerned about spiritual things? But we see, even as he's calling men away from their work to be fishers of men, he is meeting people's material needs. You can't read the rest of chapters five and six and go, like, Jesus only cares about spiritual stuff. Like he, he's he's not he's in the world, but he's not of it, and he doesn't ever deal with any kind of any kind of, of material things. Like he's cleansing lepers and he's healing paralytics. He he cares about what is going on in the world. And so this division that we have, like if I'm gonna preach the gospel to people, that means that I have to meet their spiritual need. And just ignore the material stuff that's around. And I think that that dichotomy uh, is untrue. Because I'm going I'm to take you a couple of steps backwards. We're going to go back in time. We just finished uh, going through 1 Corinthians, remember? And there were a couple of things that we learned in 1 Corinthians as we went through the Hinge series. If Jesus is raised if the resurrection is real, our whole world is changed. Yes, he saves us and he redeems our souls, but he wants to reign on the earth and he, is re- he promises that he will come back and recreate everything that was broken. If Jesus is raised, then our whole world is changed and Jesus will completely restore his creation. He was involved from the very beginning and he wants to see it restored. And so I ask, do we neglect material needs? And this manifests in a couple of different ways, I think. One is we see people like James is real blunt about it. We see people in need, and we say, "Hey, buddy, let me pray for you." Or that's John. Excuse me. John addresses it really. He says, "Hey, I see that you're in need. Like you, you need you need some clothes. Like, sorry about that. Let me pray for you." And then we walk away with a closet full of clothes at home. Like that's that's one of the ways that we do it. And James says, you know, pure religion is is, is caring for widows and orphans. Like, those aren't people of material, like, wealth, substance. Caring for them means buying them food. Caring for them means making sure that they have a place to wash themselves. Do we neglect material needs fooling ourselves into thinking that we are more spiritual for doing so? because that wasn't Jesus' MO. He He is keyed in on training his disciples to catch men, to minister to people, and part of his ministry is meeting material needs. The two are not separated from each other because God's renovated people love their neighbors. And love is choosing to see and meet a need for the other person's best interest. So. I'm going to skip some stuff in my notes. We're going to uh, move to Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6 and in, in, in verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, we've already met him, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. If you're not familiar with that area, that's a, just a big area. Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. See, I want you to notice here that Jesus is building a team. And we've addressed this in, in other things too, but I just want to highlight, like, this is Jesus, like perfect son of God. The, he's got his stuff together. And when he goes to build a team, what does he do First. Verse 12. He prays. Not just like, okay, God, give me me some discernment here. i got to pick these guys. They're going to drive me nuts for the next three years, but it'll be fine. Just let me. No. All night long. (laughs) And I like to be a fly on the log to see, to hear that prayer. Like, how does Jesus pray? And he calls his disciples to him. So there appears to be like a whole group of people that have been following him and listening to him teach. And he, and he pills out 12 guys. He makes a team. And look, Simon, in his, his first interaction with Jesus, when he says, "Uh, get away, like, you have nothing to do with me, I'm an unclean man, like, and, and Jesus invites him in. That decision to follow Jesus was the last time he was alone. The 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 first and last individual decision that he made was to follow Jesus. That in the moment he chose to follow Jesus, Jesus brought him into something that was larger than himself. And this is a subtle point that I think we might have lost at some point. But your Christian faith, the, the idea that I can follow Jesus alone is wrong. We look at the scripture and and, and he's always building teams. He's always writing letters to churches. Churches, there's more than one people. You can't be the church by yourself. And so when you choose to trust Jesus, he pulls you into a new family. And that means you're in a new family. And I say it like that because sometimes we don't even think about it. It's like family, they don't go anywhere. You can't get away from them. They always know your business, whether you want them to or not. And they care about you, whether you want them to or not. There's sometimes you just want your family to just leave you alone. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with you. But God takes you out of your loneliness and your death, and he puts you into another family who's in your business, who's trying to pray with you, who's trying to lead you to follow into Jesus, and you you can't do it by yourself. We've already seen in building the temple, that God prepares circumstances to build teams fit for his work. And Jesus does it here, and he begins with prayer. And we have to ask this because of a lot of different things that are not good or bad, they just are. But how will I connect with the team this week? if it's true that when, when you choose individually to, to follow Jesus, he takes you from that and puts you into a new family, puts you on his team, like, how will I connect with my team this week? If I, if I only showed up for games, my team would be mad, and I wouldn't be good, and the coach wouldn't put me in. And there are a lot of people that are in that situation and they're mad at God for it. But if how will I practice? What does rehearsal look like? How will I connect with my team this week? Will it be phone calls? Will it be text messages? Will it be voicemails? Will it be let's go get coffee? Will it be, I got this yard project going on right now and I need somebody else to suffer with me suffer with me through it? Come do manual labor with me. It'd be uh, how will i connect with my team this week and how will i connect with the coach this week cuz b- typical practices the coach shows up he's there before everybody else he's there after everybody's gone so how will i connect with the team this week but how will i connect with the coach because God's renovated people love their neighbors. It's not just about getting on the team, making the team so we can win the games. It's like actually going out and bringing more people into the team. Like, hey, you think you're playing, you think you're building your own like, kingdom over there? You think that that's gonna be fulfilling for you? I'm just telling you, you're actually dead, and what you're building is an is, is atrocity. Like, hey, come build something better. Come build something that will give you life. Like, leave what you think you've got and join this family. Because God, God's renovated people love their neighbors. And I'll just close with a the, the, the couple of words from the next sermon that Jesus preaches in Luke 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, For you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all peoples speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you.